Welcome to People with Purpose. So many people are looking for meaning, but they don't know where to start. Imagine a world where everyone could just get their purpose out of them and then actually make it happen. I'm David Roberts, and I believe that we all have a purpose, and with focus and a little help, people with purpose make a difference. And this show is where these stories come to life. So welcome to People with Purpose. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by uh, Sharak Sheikh, uh, who is the founder of CleverX, uh, which is a platform that helps research teams access a network of expertise uh, and build a community, by the sounds of it, that helps people to grow their businesses. So, uh, so Sharak, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me here, David. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, yeah, it's good, good to see you and, and to hear your voice. Uh, so uh, so um, what are you working on at the moment? Yeah, so we're working on, uh, you know, CleverX for the last three years. Um, and it's an, uh, you know, AI-powered audience discovery platform for research teams. What I mean by that is uh, research companies spend billions of dollars in finding the right people uh, to conduct research, especially in the commercial or B2B space. Um, and our mission is to be that go-to platform, which is probably the biggest and the most a respected platform in that space that allows these research companies or research teams to conduct research instantly, uh, way more faster than they've been doing traditionally and with a lot of trust and transparency in the process. So that's what we've been working on. Um, yeah, it's been it's been a fascinating journey so far. Okay, cool. And how long have you been doing that, sorry? I've uh, been doing it for the last three years now. Okay. Okay, cool. And and uh, so what kind of um, businesses are coming to you for help? Yeah, so there are three kinds of categories of customers. Uh, one being research teams, which are market research companies, uh, consulting firms, and startups. Um, they all want to, you know, figure out certain um, answers or get certain answers to their most critical questions while they're doing their research or building a startup or consulting their clients. And uh, we become their, you know, platform that powers that research to to get from point A to point B. Mm -hmm. And it's really, really hard for a startup, I would imagine, to be able to access that kind of expertise. I mean, I've been involved in uh, a couple of startup businesses and massive challenge one, I suppose, identifying who the ideal uh, client is and fo- really focusing in on that. And two, sizing the market that you're about to plow your own money into, put the house on and all that sweat into. So so how does your company help startups with that kind of equation? Yeah, I think the, the holy grail for any startup is finding product market fit. Mm. Uh, for people who don't know that terminology, product market fit means what you're building actually solves a problem. It's not a hype. It is solving a pain of a person who's using your product or a business. And they're willing to pay money repeatedly over long periods of time. That's how I define product market fit. So most of the companies come to our platform or startups who come to our platform, they're trying to figure out that insight or insights uh, on how to find their own product market fit. So it could be questions around the kind of people who will buy my product or service. So it could be questions around how much are they willing to pay for it? What should the pricing look like? What does the competitive landscape look like in that space? And our platform allows them to speak to prospect prospective customers um, and get their views. So you're directly speaking to someone who 
is in an influential position or is a buyer of your product in the future. Uh, and that gives you really good insights about what you should build, what you should prioritize, what should you focus on. Because startups have very small amount of resources. And the worst thing they can do is spread their resources too thin by trying out 10 different things. And nine of them could not work. But do you have the runway to go to those, you know, trying out those experiments? So it's, it's just that idea of talking to your prospective customers, getting those insights so you can focus on the most important things. Mm-hmm. Um, and where do you source your uh, panel of experts from? How do you how do you get people onto your platform to help these businesses? Yeah, um, I mean, the different stages of this company that how it's evolved now. So we have around close to 17,000 people, very senior business professionals on our platform. Um, and, uh, you know, so that's that's been an incredible journey. But uh, in the initial days, we had to hustle, right? We had to convince people. I remember that in the early days, the first thousand people before I even had the team or we raised some money, I had to onboard them personally. Like I was emailing them, talking to them on Zoom conversations, hundreds of people convincing them to be a part of the platform so they can have the ability to share their knowledge with other people or, you know, um, uh, help people do their research work, but at the same time, monetize on their expertise that they've gained over like 10, 20, 30 years of their past work experience. So it was very difficult in the early days because running a marketplace, which is who we are, um, and uh, finding you know those people who would add value, but are also being patient with the customers on the other side of the marketplace was a difficult task. But now we, are, uh, we have the flywheel kicked in where um, 80 to 90% of of the people who come and sign up on the platform come through referrals. Uh, So let's say you earn money through a platform by participating in online surveys or doing these research interviews over video. There, you would go and tell your friends or your peers or colleagues like, hey, there's this interesting platform where you can be there. You don't have to, you know, do any of the uh, heavy lifting. They take care of everything for you. And... um, you can you can monetize on your skill sets and your expertise that you've gathered. So people are really excited about you know being on the platform and and helping other people out as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I imagine it must be quite a difficult sell to 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 encourage uh, an an expert uh, to, uh, to 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 join a platform. Uh, one, I suppose, partly because if you're using emails, that's pretty cold, and and especially yeah. in today's world where um, you know, a- anything that involves clicking a link to find out more probably looks a bit like a scam. You know, it's kind of, that that must that must be really challenging. I suppose I'm interested in how you, how you overcome that challenge. Then the second challenge I'm interested in is uh, from the point of view of uh, you know remunerating the experts. How do you pitch it at a level where it's really worth their while? Yeah, that, those are really great questions. Uh, by the way, the first question you know about. Uh, people not trusting you. Yeah, in the initial days, people did not trust us. We are just a small startup who's trying to make a dent in the space. Um, We have to really convince people to know that we are legitimate. We are making sure that you will get paid. So the platform is built on this mechanism of trust and transparency where they can decide what their rates are uh, in terms of monetization. It allows them to only engage with people who are willing to spend the money. So you're not just going to talk to people randomly 
you're not sure about, which is a problem on LinkedIn, right? Like if I reach out to you on LinkedIn, and even if you decide to work with me, there is a monetization mechanism for you to make sure that you guarantee to get paid. So at CleverX, we guarantee that payment. Um, if you're engaging with someone um, and are helping them out in their research uh, you know, projects, you will get paid for the work that you've done. Uh, so that gives them the assurance. And they don't have to do a lot of heavy lifting in terms of creating a profile every time someone reaches out to them. So they can import their LinkedIn data right within the platform within 30 seconds. Uh, and the profile is up and ready for people to get connected with them. So customers or startups or research teams can like directly chat with them, just like you would do it on any social platform. But at the same time, the monetization mechanism takes care of the trust and transparency part. Um, and the, the customer already knows like how much they're going to pay if I want to talk to someone for 30 minutes or for one hour. So you already know what the expectations are of that conversation. And that I think keeping that that layer of transparency in the in the process of how the user experience works on both the sides is, is super valuable. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's really fascinating. Um, and I'm also quite intrigued. Uh, so, so because in, in a way, you've got you've got two customers. You've got the community of experts on the one hand, and then you've got the uh, the the market research companies, the startups who are looking for the information. Uh, how did you decide? Uh, the, the sequence to, to to build those respective customer bases. Yeah, that's that's pretty. You know, um, one of the things that is very contrary to a lot of marketplace founders is like always go into specific niches that uh, on the both the sides of the marketplace rather than going very horizontal or generalized. Um, if you take in the past, like the biggest marketplaces that we've seen in the world, the Airbnbs, the Ubers, the Amazons of the world, they all started with constrained supply and demand. What, what I mean by that is Uber started with San Francisco as the first city. Same with, I think Airbnb it was New York, if I'm not mistaken. But they started with like specific constraints for their particular marketplace. Amazon started with books, right? They didn't go horizontal like the millions of products that we have on Amazon today. Um, and I think that's the right way to go about uh, building any marketplace. So we were very diligent about that fact. And we we started off with specific expertise because we are not geographically constrained. We are constrained on the expertise and the skill set of the supply side on the marketplace. So we're very diligent about bringing specific people and connecting to the demand that cares about that expertise. So that's how we kept growing our marketplace. And today we have people from all around the world, uh, from multiple disciplines in terms of their expertise, who get used by research companies who care about those expertise mm. um, while they're conducting research. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. And and how, how long did it take you to get your first thousand experts on? Yeah, it was, I think, really difficult. The first year we were... Um, we were struggling in the first year, like, you know, because you want to make sure that the demand exists for the supply and the supply exists for the demand. So the first year, I think it was like 1,200 people. We were able to like manually very uh, onboard them with like a lot of hustle. And then it, it took off and people started making money. Research firms got what they wanted based on those niches. And then the, it's, it started to roll. So uh, marketplaces are very, you know, demanding in the early days of of building them uh once they have the flywheel effect um going then then they're very difficult to kill 
but they're also the most difficult sort of like technology businesses that you can create. Um, but yeah, it, it, it took us time, you know, and, and at least the first year was the most difficult one. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm also quite interested in the uh, the fact that it's it's tech based and you mentioned AI. Can you talk a bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So our platform is a self-service marketplace. So you can simply, so there are four components to our platform. One is searching for the right people. Second would be engaging with them, like how do you connect with them? Uh, the third piece would be actually getting the work done, the kind of research that you want to do. So you want to do video calls, you want to conduct online surveys or something else, like a consulting project. And the fourth one would be like the pay, my payments and the incentivization of these users. So that's how we see the marketplace. Um, and uh, you can do all of these four things by yourself. You don't need us to actually guide you through it. The platform is self-service. It allows you to search through thousands of filters, uh, across geography, job roles, company data, uh, and you can find the right specific people before you engage with them or conduct research and pay them out. Uh, the AI component, what we're seeing is like in the last one to two years, the technology has evolved really rapidly. Things which were not possible uh, before are possible today. Like people who use ChatGPT or other AI tools, they're aware of it, like how fast that technology is really moving. And it's going to be impacting us on our, in our daily as well as like work lives. Uh, in the next five to 10 years, a lot of things are going to be automated. And we want to bring that uh, into research process as well. So for example, um, you know, the thing that we're working on is uh, a prompt-based search as well. So you can just talk to the AI, what are the kind of people that you're looking for, and it should be able to bring in those people right in front of you. The other thing is, how do you, um, when your video call is recorded, how do you get those golden nuggets or specific things out of those conversations, which are important for your research process. So it summarizes that information, brings it, surfaces it in front of you so you can use that. Um, Things like transcripts. So a lot of companies are working on these things. So we want to build this product where it's as easy and fast as possible to get to the the place where you want to be in your research process. Uh, For example, Qualtrics is working on um, giving, uh, you know, survey participants a prompt-based tool where you can even just mention to the survey tool, like this is the kind of survey that I want to build for XYZ kind of people. It will even create those questions for you. Like these are really good questions that you can ask in surveys. And then you can edit it and make it the way you want it to be. But at least the first draft, AI is really good at creating that first draft, uh, which could take days and you know hours for someone to do it. Um, but if you can just cut down on that time, that becomes a really powerful tool into your arsenal of getting things done. I guess... Um, that's where the industry is heading and we want to lead it in the in the b2b research space yeah mm-hmm. cool and i suppose i don't know much about the the, the cost if you like or, or the outlay that that, that that is required to 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 bring this level of technology into this space um have, have you had to go and get funding has it been uh sort of capital intensive from that point of view yeah, I mean, we were very lucky. We found, found product market fit quite early compared to a lot of startups. So uh, in the last three years, our company has grown by leaps and bounds. Um, we are growing 100% year over year uh, from 2022 to 2023. Uh, and we're talking about millions of dollars in terms of transactions. So uh, we are very uh, we are profitable, which is incredible. Uh, so our customers have funded us really. Uh, we raised uh, some capital uh, from angel investors in the past. But we never had the need to raise a lot of money to to grow. 
for a simple solely one single reason is like we have customers who believe in our product and the value that they're getting out of it. So they're willing to spend thousands of dollars every week um, in using the platform. And that makes it super exciting and, and powerful. Yeah. Mm, cool. And I guess, yeah, if you've got, if you've got market research companies who are, uh, you know, provide, providing that surface service to, I don't know, investment houses or, or, or their clients, then if they've got a reliable source of uh, market intel, they're going to keep coming back to the same place, I guess. Is that the experience you're finding? Absolutely. I think the uh, the word that you used is, is, is very interesting is reliability, right? Market research as an industry has struggled with reliability a lot. So a lot of people don't know this, but 40% of online survey data is fraudulent. Hmm. So when you spend $100, $40 out of it is a waste. Hmm. Uh, and the reason is transparency uh, on a respondent's information. Uh, so the only way to solve that, and that's what we believe in as a, as a company, is having a platform that gives users 100% transparency on the identity of your survey respondents, which allows you to eliminate that waste of 40% completely. Uh, and I think that has been a very, very powerful thing for market researchers because then they have the confidence in their research. Um, unlike traditional ways of doing it, they had no idea who their respondents were. They just can. They just have to rely on a panel provider who says like these are the actual people, but you don't know individually who's your research provider or the research respondent. Um, but with CleverX using that platform, uh, that has trans transformed the way they they've been conducting research, which means they now have the ability to know every single respondent who has been a part of the survey. And surveys are like projects which are even a spend of hundred thousand dollars as well. $200,000. So that's a big amount of money that a company is spending for a decision that could be worth millions and billions of dollars. Mm. And uh, companies want to have that, you know, or researchers want to have that confidence, but that hasn't been the case in the past. Mm. So the fraud numbers have increased over the years. And that's something that we're really proud of, that we've built a model uh, from ground up, which is a very novel way of doing things to solve that reliability issue. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that has been the reason why we found product market fit. Oh yeah, brilliant. And and what what sort of trends are you seeing in in your sector? Because uh, I, I I have now stopped. Well, actually, about five years ago, I stopped buying those kind of market reports uh, that 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 you used to get. Kind of people emailing you and saying, you know, here's our report on the X, Y, and Z market and and forecast and else. Because I just found the reliability really really poor. And now my preference is to commission a dedicated. Uh, you know, bespoke piece of uh, research uh, because then I know I'm going to get the quality and the value. Is that is that a general trend or or, or what's going on? So it depends on the on the use cases. So to um, for some people, that data which is like second a uh, mix of secondary and primary data um, conducted by companies who produce research notes is good enough for them to get an understanding on the trends. Hmm. Um, Usually you can you can look at those same reports because those reports are published every year and you can look at in the last five years, 10 years, how does that look like? So that's that's in some use, use cases that is fine. Uh, but for companies who are trying to do like custom research, you want to get the reason you want to do that is you want to go very deep very specific to your use case of that research process. Um, uh, so in cases of like research companies uh, who are working with a specific client, let's say Microsoft, uh, or a specific client like IBM, 
and they're trying to figure out trends around AI because those are the products they want to sell in the future. Uh, those researches become very custom uh, for a specific set of personas in the US, in North America, in Europe versus Middle East, right? So you, you want to do those projects which are very custom. And I think that's where we come in as a platform, which gives you the ability to make it as um, custom to your specific use case rather than just buying a report and uh, finding that trend. Uh, so the, the use cases differ, you know, I'm not saying like one is better than the other. It's just that the, the research companies or the person who's conducting the research has to figure out what matters to them. Yeah, sure, sure. Cool. So um, how did you get into all of this then? Yeah, that's, uh, that's very interesting. So my, my background is uh, being technology, you know, uh, I'm a software engineer by trade from a pretty good engineering school back in India worked for some large companies in, in the tech world before I even decided to start my company. But everything came about together for me when I used to work for Gartner Research. Uh, Gartner is one of the largest technology research companies in the world. Uh, and that's where I got uh, you know exposed to like, how does the research industry really work, uh, especially in the commercial or in the B2B space. And um, I saw a bunch of inefficiencies and gaps which existed in that industry in the traditional way of, ways of doing things. Um, and that was the whole reason to, to start CleverX and solve those problems. So we want to be known as a company that has solved a problem and standardized that industry when it comes to trust and transparency by building this platform, which makes it super easy for researchers to get the job done. Um, and I think keeping that mission in mind, we started building the first iteration of the product, which was launched in 2020. Uh, and then, you know, we have evolved, evolved so much based on the customer feedback that we've got or the user feedback we've received. Um, and and we keep growing from there. Yeah. So it's quite a big leap, though, to to be working for a, a, a behemoth like uh, like Gartner, and then and then to then set up on your own. What, what was it about you that gave you the the chutzpah, if you like, to start your own business? Yeah, I, I think I've always been entrepreneurial. Um, this is funny, but like I went to my old drive. You know those physical drives we used to have on our with with our computers that we would store data in them, right? Mm. I had a bunch of like 15, 20 business ideas. So every time I thought about a problem or a pain area, I would write down some notes about it, like my small, like a one pager document. Um, so I was always entrepreneurial. And I, I think uh, for me personally, that's the biggest impact that I can bring to the world is by, you know, seeing if I can build something that is valuable to people and can solve their problems. So I think just having that, that, confidence in yourself and the self-belief that you are that person who can solve those problems for the specific industry or, or specific set of people um, gives you the motivation to, to leave a very high paying job. Um, because for most of the people, I was an idiot at the time, like, why am I doing this? Yeah. Uh, but I've had, I had very supportive friends and family who, who trusted and believed in me uh, for me to go and take that leap. Um, and, and, you know, it, it all worked out, so uh, no complaints there. Yeah. yeah, 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 cool. But I mean, is is there anything in your um, in your your background or your upbringing or or any any character quality that you have that you think particularly lends itself to to to, to running your own business and, and and particularly from a startup? Yeah, I think there are three or four things when I look at those pivotal moments in my personal life. Uh, what made me do that and the 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 traits. Uh, number one, the most important thing a lot of people do not um, think about success. If you ask most of the people, so you stand on the street, right? And you talk to every individual, what do you think is the, is are the, the primary reasons for you to be successful? Most of the people are going to answer, it's going to be hard work and intelligence, 
But I think they miss out on a couple of important things. Of course, you need hard work and intelligence, but there are a lot of hardworking and a lot of intelligent people in the world. Uh, those are com commoditized now because you have access to so much information. The most important thing to be a startup founder is how deterministic you are in your belief. Uh, and the second one is the ability to have the courage to put in that action. Hmm. So I would strongly ask people to build those traits and they can be built up hmm. uh, if you don't have them, which is courage and being deterministic about having that self-belief in yourself. Um, they would definitely be the top reasons for me to think about if someone's going to be a successful entrepreneur or not. So if you look at the people who have created the maximum impact in this world, be it in the world of like entrepreneurship or sports or music, or these have all been people who have been courageous to take a different route to things, uh, doing things differently. Uh, and that takes courage mm -hmm. because most of the world would tell you like, no, this is probably not going to work. Mm -hmm. So until, unless you don't have that, uh, it's very difficult to get there. Uh, I was also, you know, although I come from a South Asian, you know, Southeast Asian like family background, um, which which always is about like, you want to be a doctor or an engineer. Uh, I think my parents always from like, I was a childhood, they, they allowed me and my uh, younger brothers, just two of us, uh, to take decisions based on what we wanted to do or what we were passionate about. So that really helped, uh, you know, uh, growing up and making those deci decisions uh, because my family trusted us to do whatever we felt we were passionate about, we should work on that. So money wasn't the thing or status quo wasn't the thing for us, which was which was really helpful. Uh, and the other thing I would I would strongly suggest people is to be persistent in doing something. A lot of people um, are intelligent, smart, hardworking, but they don't have this thing about having a long-term you know, view on things. So just being persistent, continuously trying to improve and fix problems as they come along um, is a very, very important trait uh, to, to, to be a good startup founder uh, or build a company from ground up to, to make it successful. Yeah. yeah. And, and what characteristics do you think it was that you were missing? And, and where, where did you get them from? Yeah, I think uh, to a certain degree, I had this imposter syndrome, you know, before moving to Silicon Valley. Um, and um, I, I was like, oh, these people from Stanford, Harvard, they must be really smarter than me, better than me. Um, apparently, it turns out like it's 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 just opportunities that people got. Um, you shouldn't think anything lesser uh, about yourself. I think that's the most um you know, self-sabotaging thing that you can do to yourself uh, is like thinking that people are better than you. Um, I, I remember Steve Jobs had the same something similar. He said is like, you know, um, other people are no better than you, right? You you have those skill sets. It's a matter of like having that self-belief. So I had to really work on that um, in the past few years to um, get that confidence that it doesn't matter, you know, what degrees or because at the end of the day, when you're doing a startup, market is the biggest validator. It's not the investors. It's not the schools that you've gone to. So you'll meet a lot of people from the top Ivy schools um, doing startups and they were not successful, right? What does that tell you? That tells you like, um, it's not about your education or credentials only. It's also about uh, other things that you can bring to the table personally as an individual. Um, and I, I strongly believe in that because there's so many companies which are 
groundbreaking, very important to the world today, who been which which have been built by people who probably didn't even go to schools, you know, or didn't have the best schools as their credentials or the work experience of working with like big companies. Um, so it's it, it's clearly a testament of uh, people's hard work, people's courage, their ability to believe in themselves and be persistent in that journey. Uh, so going back to 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 my personal you know, weaknesses, I think it was most more about like having that confidence, uh, just coming from a different part of the world um, to, to Silicon Valley and and building that up was was one of the most important things I think I worked on. Yeah, yeah. And and it is a brave move. You know, move moving halfway across the globe is is a is is a brave move. Starting a business is a is a brave move. Uh, was that was there a moment where you felt um, a change from perhaps feeling a bit fearful to thinking, do you know what? I've got this. Yeah, there are there are multiple moments when you see your work being validated by the most important set of people, which are your customers and your users. Uh, and having a great team, uh, which is aligned with you in your thinking and your mission, um, that is a really good testament of like how you, you know, um, start building that confidence. Um, I think confidence is bred based on those small successes that you get along the way. I think just thinking about them, pondering, reflecting on them uh, helps you build that confidence as you as you grow. Um, so there are multiple instances where I've met people who've raised millions of dollars and still were not able to build companies which are impactful. Um, and just seeing your team do that um, without those kind of resources is is incredibly rewarding, um, you know, and um, just just going back to that the the concept which I told you about is like small successes make you feel confident. Just keep moving forward, move the needle every day forward, and and you will get there. Yeah, because mm. um, the evidence that you look for in your life, um, you you get you get to choose which evidence you 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 select if you like so wow. so so lots of people um find it really really hard to to see the evidence of their capabilities uh, because their 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 vision is too full of the evidence that they're maybe not good enough do you, do you, do you, and if you've been through that kind of imposter syndrome kind of feeling and come yep. through that to a point of confidence uh was was it a change in mindset or were the seeds of that confident mindset already there do you think i think a hundred percent your mindset matters the most i think the biggest thing an entrepreneur can do from early days even when you're growing a company where we are at this stage is having um really good control on your emotions mm. what i mean by that is things can go up and down but if you waver with them be it a good, uh, you know, month or a really bad month, um, just keeping it monotonous uh, is actually in your benefit rather than like jumping through those emotions every day. <laughs> yeah. um, and I think that's one of the most important skills that people should have. Some people have it innately and some people, most of the people actually have to build that up, but it's like a muscle memory thing. You know, you constantly go through those things, but you reflect on that every day and try to be more monotonous on your emotions, be it up and down. I think that's super, super helpful. That helped me personally, at least. I don't know if it's applicable to other people, but speaking from my experience, um, you know, if it's a great month, wonderful. If it's not a great month, what do we have to do to make it a great month, right? So just having very 
a structured thinking and not flowing through emotions because you don't control 99% of the things that happen. You can only control the way you think and your mindset. Um, but it's really, really important, you know, being stoic in those in those moments uh, where things look not so great, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, I think it's it's mostly mindset more than anything else. Mm. You know, I totally agree with that, and I uh, that thing about as you say, um, keep keeping it keeping a level head. I, I'm I'm sort of developing a bit of a leadership model at the moment, and uh, I'm yeah. calling it the calm model because uh, I think yeah. being calm is is an important characteristic for, for, of, of leadership. You know, I certainly what I want from a leader is that is that composure, that calmness. Uh, and then and then CALM is also an acronym. It kind of stands for communication, accountability, leadership, and management. And, yep. and, and, and in, in my businesses, I make sure that CALM is at the top of every leader's key result areas, uh, really is that sort of constant reminder that that's the most important thing. Leadership is the most important thing. Uh, and leadership, uh, the way you lead, as well as as well as well the you know the, the stuff that you're doing, the tasks you're doing, is absolutely vital. How, how do you lead your team? Yeah, um, you're absolutely right on the calm part. I think uh, for, for me, uh, the demeanor I usually want to have is, uh, you know, being calm and confident. Your team is looking for you to be confident because sometimes they might have imposter syndromes. Sometimes they might not believe in themselves. But if you're not confident as a leader, everything breaks down. Uh, so having that calm composure, you know, outlook to things and confidence um, and helping them have that self-identity of confidence and calm is the way to, to go about it. Um, with CleverX, we are very, very fortunate that we built a culture around, uh, you know, working very hard, having integrity, um, having that confidence in yourself. And if, um, you know, building the team from that point of view. So that's the way our communication in the team works as well. It's like if someone is feeling like an imposter syndrome, there are other people to help them out. You know, people who talk to each other and, you know, bring them, bring them up back to, you know, uh, that confident uh, place so they can perform better. And uh, we also care a lot about integrity in our business. Um, we have a no-jerk policy. So you can ask any kind of question. Nobody has to look stupid. Or, you know, how basic, no matter how basic that question is, but you also make sure that people are not, um, you know, people are having a good attitude towards their colleagues. Uh, those things matter to us as a company. And of course, you know, you're putting in the hard work and getting things done, uh, taking action when you feel um, that you're in a rut. Uh, that is something that is, that, is, that is what I've learned in this entire journey is like, you only get clarity when you take actions. If you're thinking too much, you can actually be paralyzed. Uh, and uh, if someone is stuck somewhere, we want them to take actions. It's okay to make mistakes. Mistakes are fine, but mistakes will only happen if you take actions. If you're just sitting in one place thinking and worrying about mistakes, actually you're putting yourself in a much more worse position than you can be. Um, so I think that that culture we've developed from, from day one in the company has been super helpful uh, to to grow the team, uh, not just um, the company as a byproduct of doing well. It's also the people work work at CleverX have become better in the com- in the last few years working with us. And I think that's that should be the goal of the company. People should develop, they should grow, and that's how the company grows. It's it's basically a bunch of people working on an experiment, right? That's what a startup is. Yeah. So if they can get better, the output is better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's amazing. And so, and how do you um, create and then maintain that that 
kind of environment of psychological safety. So people feel they can make mistakes. People feel they can speak up, especially as you grow. Yeah, I think the most important thing that you want to do as a leader is uh, make you feel comfortable, make your team uh, feel comfortable and safe uh, when uh, any kind of discussion happens. For example, if I have an idea as a founder, my team can on the on the Zoom calls or in those meetings, they have the right to say or disagree with me without being worried about what the consequences are going to be. Uh, because I don't have all the answers, and my team knows that. Neither does any any one particular individual in, in any company has all the answers for any, everything, including founders, by the way. So what you want is people to come up with their own ideas and share them without being scared of any kind of negative consequences to it. Right. So you can get into heated debates, but it's nothing personal, right? It's you're trying to get your job done, uh, what is in the best interest of the company. And if my idea is not the best idea, um, that uh, will take the company or move the needle, take the company forward or move the needle forward, um, then then be it, right? It has it could be the most junior person in the team and they can come up with the best ideas. So just having that safety net that it's all right to speak up your mind and share what you what you feel is right for the company is so valuable and important. Um, and, and as a leader, I think a lot of people fail doing that. Uh, the team doesn't feel safe to share things with them. And then eventually those people will get out of the company because they don't feel valued and uh, you know they're not being heard. Uh, even if the idea is not implemented, right? You, you should be in a position to hear everyone out uh, as a leader. Uh, and I think that's, that's super valuable. Mm-hmm. And what about inspiration? So if you're if you're looking to maintain a kind of a level a level head and, and not get too excited, not get too carried away, either when things go really well or things when things go really badly, how do you how do you bring inspiration into uh, your leadership style and that of your leadership team? I think the most important thing that I've learned, like managing a lot of people in the last few years, is people always want to prove their self identity. Mm-hmm. So, if I'm talking to, this is an example of a designer. She's twenty. She was twenty-two years old when she joined. This was her actually first full-time job. But I really liked her, you know, work um, on uh, on Dribble, and we hired her. And she was always worried. She's like, I'm just twenty-two years old. Um, I see these amazing designers, user interface, user experience people in Silicon Valley, and I don't know if I'll be able to do that. So just making her feel constantly that you are equally as good as them and you will get there if you put in the time and have really high standards of excellence that you are like the top one person designer in the world just having that self-belief people come from that place and then they want to prove that self-identity and now she does work which is incredibly amazing i would definitely put her in the top one percent of the people as a, as a designer um and she brings incredible ideas to the table in the last you know, three years as she's she's grown working in the company, just ha- giving them the confidence and trust that it's okay to make mistakes. It's all right to try new things. Be courageous about like uh, uh, doing your work, and uh, and and not worry about like why you couldn't be that person. Just having that self belief is such a, such a valuable part of like becoming better every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So. Sometimes inspiration, people have a perception that it's kind of all this charismatic uh, kind of stuff, but actually it sounds like that's that, that actually sounds like quite an intimate individual kind of level of inspiration built building that confidence gradually over time. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, it definitely helps to be charismatic and there are people who do that, uh, but it's not sustainable in the sense like you can have a conversation with the team and tell them about the mission of your company, reiterate it as many times as you want. Sometimes you need to go deeper, a deeper level than that. You just can't be like giving motivational speeches to your team to do it. It's it's uh, it's great probably, you know, in a couple of times, but it's it's not what carries the team forward. I think they have to have that um, attachment, a personal emotional connect to the mission of the company. They need to have uh, the ability to believe in themselves. And you can only do that having different ways of communication. One could be one-to-many where you talk to the entire team, you talk about the progress. Uh, so we do these monthly team calls where we talk about how our last month has been, where we're going the next month. Um, but we also talk about our failures and successes in that. That gives a very good, truthful picture to the team, not constantly talking about how great we're doing, uh, because that's not always you know, helpful. People should know the ground realities of things when we are not doing well as well. But at the same time, there's a other set of communication which happens one-to-one rather than one-to-many. And in those one-to-one, you need to know as a leader how your every single employee is as a and you know who they are in their personalities as well. Are they introverts? Are they extroverts? What do they like? What do they not like? What inspires them? It could be money. It could be personal goals. It could be personal development and growth. And based on that, you can build them up from there. So I think having those two modes of communication, which is one-to-one and one-to-many, um, which is very custom and structured to an individual that you're working with is, is really, really valuable. Um, and I think that's what we've done. Like, you know, all, not all your fingers on your hand are the same, right? They're all very different mm. and they have to be dealt in a different way. Uh, so it's, it's the same, you know, analogy I would, I would give to a team. Every single team is so unique and different. Yeah. yeah. That's brilliant. And uh, I'm also intrigued because you've you've come from startup all the way through. So so what was your first hire, and yeah. and what was your last most recent hire? Yeah, that's a very interesting question. I think my first hire was a uh, um, backend engineer. We we wanted to build the product from ground up, which is a completely new thing in in, in our space. Um, and our customers wouldn't like trust us without having at least a minimum viable product. Um, um, so the first hire was an engineer. We wanted to build the product first, show it to our customers. It also helped us in fundraising as well, because you want to show like what you've been working on building, not just a slide deck to say like, we're going to go over and take over this market. So we wanted to show there's a product, there are users who are using it. It's actually working and solving the problem. So we started off first by hiring uh, the development team to build the product. In parallel, I was working and talking to users and customers. So Customer service, sales, marketing, everything was on me in the initial days. The last hire we made was uh, with someone in the design team, um, you know, uh, where we are still improving the product and making the user experience better because now we know what does, what works on the, on the, the features and the functionalities, but we want to make it like the most seamless, easy, amazing user experience for, for our customers. Um, so we've always been a product driven company um, and, most of our customers have come through word of mouth that because that is a testament that the product did what it promised to deliver. Mm. That's really interesting. And so have there been any hires that that you you perhaps regretted making that you can talk about? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I made mistakes, uh, you know, uh, along the way where I hired the wrong people as well. And I've also made the mistake of not letting them go sooner. Mm. Uh, because as a founder, you have this... Uh, and a, probably only a founder can understand what I mean by that is you have this very different emotional connection with your early employees. 
even probably your early employees are not aware of it. Um, and uh, you you trust them to the core to make sure that they align with your mission. So I think uh, a couple of times I made the mistake of hiring the wrong people based on just skill sets. Um, I think I should have been more diligent on the software aspect of it, the things that we care in our culture. They could have been more aligned with those people. Uh, so we had to let them go. Um, and I wish them the best. But uh, having that alignment on the culture is equally if not as important as the skill sets. I would trade off on the skill sets for having more alignment on the culture where you don't want to end up with people that the other team members are not excited or enjoying working with uh, because they just have a different value system. It's probably not the best for your company. It could be best for some other company, but they're not aligned to your value system. And I think that has been my learning lesson in terms of hiring the people on the culture. It's also difficult, you know, just a few hours of conversation to understand do they have the same value system um, as as your <laughs> company. Uh, you will make those mistakes and those are inevitable mistakes, but just learning from them uh, and trying to minimize those mistakes is is a good uh, way to go forward. Mm. And having having learned those lessons, what advice would you give to somebody who is just starting a business and they've they, maybe they've they've got their first team uh, and and so now is the time to really uh, invest in building a culture that's right for them? What steps should they go through or things should they look, look out for? I think they should definitely a culture of a company is very founder driven. Um, a lot of people should think who are starting their companies is that your company is almost like art. Um, it's almost like a reflection of what you are or who you are out in the world. It's an it's a it's a form of expression. And uh, how do you express yourself with those tools? And a team is a tool to express that. So the values that you care about individually is what you should be hiring people for. Um, so if you care about integrity a lot, you care about hard work a lot, you care about demeanor or you know who they are as individuals, you care about um, creativity more, you should hire people who care about those things too or who are on that path to become those people. Uh, and if, if you can find those people, you're really lucky. Um, it's really difficult to find people who are aligned with your values. And I think that's something that you should definitely look at when you're hiring your first few people in the team. The second thing is um, how aligned they are to your mission as well of the company. Do they care about that industry? Do they care about the problems that you're solving um, to a degree where without you asking them, they would put in the work uh, to get the job done uh, is, is really, really valuable. Uh, and the other thing is, of course, you know, you you should care about the skill sets as well. So I would rate skill sets as number two or three on that spectrum, not number one. So culture, fit. Um, second one would be, you know, the, how aligned they are to your company's mission. Uh, and the third one would be the skills and the expertise, because you can build skills and expertise. That's what I've realized. And people who are good learners will, will build that up really quick. Uh, but the other two things is where people, most of the people, you know, fail. Um, most of the people want to look at the skills and the expertise. I, I think that's not the best way to to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially when you're early stages, is the, the the temptation is to is to because you need the technical ability maybe to get maybe a product created or or to to be able to sell or whatever it might be. So uh, so yeah, yeah, so it's a real a real temptation to go for that exclusively. 
Yeah, and also the temptation is on on time, right? Like you want to quickly hire people. Don't I? Th- I think the contrarian view for me would be is like wait. It's okay to wait uh, because even if you're like delayed by one month to hire the right candidate from your date of like hiring, uh, on the long term spectrum, that one month wouldn't mean anything. But if you're just in a rush to hire someone this week because you want to get the job done. Um, you might end up like on the long term. And by long term, I mean like in the startup world, it's like one year, two years time. You've actually lost a lot uh, just because of that one month's delay. Um, so just be very, very, very careful about like how you're going to hire that person from a timing perspective as well. Um, we, I've, I've made that mistake definitely in, in my journey um, of being too fast in terms of hiring someone. I think I should have been more diligent. I think that's where I made most of my mistakes. Um, and uh, having that understanding that it's okay to take like 15 days, maybe even a month longer, just finding the right person is 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 on a long-term basis is way more valuable than than looking at short-term. Yeah. And so what what's the what's the mission then that CleverX is on or the purpose of the of the business? I think our purpose is to change the standard standards or the status quo of how research is being done um, in, in the B2B space. Uh, we want to build a, a way of doing things that's super fast, instant uh, to conduct research. It's the most trusted and transparent way of doing it. Uh, and I think if we can change that for the overall industry by leading it in these two, three different uh you know, parameters that we think are important for this industry to, to evolve um, and bringing that technological advancement to, to a traditional industry like this would be our, our core impact or mission towards this industry. Money is a byproduct of it. Growth is a byproduct of it. Um, but just changing the industry for good would be the best, you know, outcome that we would want to see. Mm. And, and what's, your, what, what's your life purpose as an individual? Yeah, that's a that's a very uh, deep question. Uh, my my life purpose for me, these you know, any startup that I do um, is a means to an end. Uh, it is not the end for me. Um, I definitely want to do something philanthropical uh, for orphans. That's a cause that's really really close to my heart. And if I can change certain lives of uh, these individuals, which are you know disenfranchised from childhood, like from birth. Um, that would be a really impactful thing personally for me to accomplish. And if I can do that, I think I, I would probably be able to be happily, uh, you know, say that, you know, I've lived a good life. Mm. Um, so yeah, my startups would give me that, those resources and the influence to achieve that goal, uh, the personal goal that I have in mind. Yeah. Oh, cool. That's really, really interesting. Cause, uh, cause, cause, cause I suppose, um, if you've if you've got a reason for starting a business that is to feed some kind of higher purpose, then I guess that can potentially help with with the motivation and keeping the energy going and the drive and all that. Particularly when time get time gets tough. Absolutely, I think um, no money, no other resources in this in the startup world where you're just thinking about yourself. Like human psychology is so different in the sense a lot of people think like money is my motivator. Actually, you know, if you keep money as a motivator or just success in the quote unquote eyes of the world is is your motivator to do a startup, I think you should think very deeply before you do that. Mm. Uh, it's not going to help you in very distressed times and you will have those moments. It's inevitable 
take any big company it has been on the you know it's it's super successful today in multi billion dollars or trillion dollars has been on the verge of dying at some point in time from the googles apples of the world you know so having that purpose which is bigger and beyond you be it for your industry be it a philanthropical cause or be it anything else right just having that purpose which is way beyond you and your family as well right is what will pull you through those difficult moments and times it is not your individual you know uh purpose right like not just what i mean by your uh individual purpose like just not things which are just not for you and your family that's your obligation anyways to take care of yourself and your family but anything beyond that which is a societal change or an industry change that you're working towards that should be the primary soul or um that should be the primary thing to pull you out of those those difficult dark times mm-hmm. yeah that's so that's really powerful insight that and i i guess um uh, we're coming to the end of our conversation now, so uh, so I'm just just conscious of, of your time. But um, but I am I am interested in understanding what's next for for for, for CleverX, and uh, both from a kind of the optimistic, the, the the kind of the plans, the impact that you want to have, but also what challenges are you anticipating for CleverX in the future? Yeah, I think uh, we are at the stage of scaling the company now. Um, our goal is to scale 10x in terms of users, customers, revenues. That's from a, from a business perspective. And I think uh, with every stage of the company, you have different set of challenges. So for us, scaling is the next thing. And I think we'll face very different problems. It's uh, funny you mentioned that because we just had a call last week with the team uh, where we were talking about the kind of problems that we've dealt before. The new problems look very different than that now. So we've got to have a very different mindset of solving those problems, uh, thinking big, um, thinking uh, of scaling things now uh, because we found product market fit. And those problems are going to look very, very different, be it like being more capitalized, being more capital efficient, um, growth. They, they, they are very different sets of problems that we'll have to deal with. And it's going to be new for me as well uh, in terms of scaling that company to that level. So it's, it's going to be exciting, but at the same time, being aware that you're entering a new phase of the, the business uh, will bring different challenges. And these are going to be bigger challenges than we faced before. Just having that mindset to deal with them uh, would be the, the next evolution for, for us as a team. Hmm. Yeah. I once heard someone say that um, every problem you solve uh, brings a gift for you in its hand, which is normally a bigger problem. So uh, there you go. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 It's, it's a never ending journey, right? You yeah. know, every milestone that you hit comes up with new set of problems. It's yeah. not just the the rewards that you gain out of it comes with new sets of problems. So yeah, exactly. uh, yeah but we're excited about it. And I'm pretty confident our team is like, uh, uh, equipped to to deal with them now. Yeah. yeah, and businesses exist to solve problems, right? So um, if you're if you're able to anticipate what you think might be coming down the tracks for you, and you've talked a bit about scale, and uh, you might need a different mindset, maybe different skills uh, to be able to to handle that, then you're already taking you know one, two, three steps into that area to be able to really confront those challenges and 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 beat them, and then you know your impact can then grow further. Yeah, absolutely. And and you, you're going to feel uh, dealing with certain sets of challenges as well. And that's okay. Hmm. That's just a part of the learning curve uh, while you're building a business. Uh, but just learning from those mistakes, moving quickly, uh, and not putting yourself into very vulnerable situations where your company could die 
uh, I think just taking care of those things right now would be the most important thing. Um, so um, yeah, just just learning along the way, switching quickly to if something's not working to trying new things would be the way forward. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, Shaka, it's been amazing speaking with you. I've had a, had a brilliant time with you and uh, I've loved listening to uh, your, your pearls of wisdom. Uh, you, you've talked about trust, transparency and technology and putting those three T's together to create impact uh, in in both the, the the market that you're in, but also in the wider world with your own personal mission. So it's been great to, to speak to you and to listen to you. Uh, do you have any uh, parting words before we bring the conversation to a, conclu a conclusion? Um that, that's a, first of all, uh, David, thanks for having me here. It was a pleasure uh, being here and thanks for those amazing questions. I hope they're helpful um, uh, to the audience. Our conversation was valuable to them. Uh, but yeah, uh, if anyone wants to you know, reach out to me and they're starting to build a business, I'm happy to help in any way possible. Um, they can look up for me with my first name, uh, Sharik, S-H-A-R-E-K-H on LinkedIn. Uh, that's the only social media I actually you know, use. Uh, so, um, you know, they can reach out to me and I'm happy to help anyone. Amazing, amazing. And the company again is CleverX. That's correct. C-L-E-V-E-R-X.com um, and sign up on the platform. It's free to use. Um, and if you have any feedback on the product as well, happy to hear that. Yeah. Awesome. Brilliant. Sharik, thanks ever so much for coming on. Thank you so much, David. Thanks for listening to People With Purpose. I hope you've enjoyed the show and are enjoying going on this journey. Please remember to like and subscribe and give us a five-star review. Uh, tell all your friends. And if you're interested in finding out more about any of the things we've covered in this episode of People With Purpose, just get in touch. All the details are in the show notes. Thanks. Bye.